Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. We are in chapter 13 of Proverbs. I know there are some things that I'm skipping over that you would probably love for me to teach um, or love for somebody to teach you. But uh, anyway, we'll just keep moving and, and hopefully you'll appreciate what we do touch. So in Proverbs chapter 13, let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Also, Father, we are grateful for what we see in your word. Your word teaches us. It shows us, Father, your intent. It helps us, Father, to to take your word and and, and make it apply to where we are in life. And so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've been saying all along, um, the book of Proverbs was really written largely um, for young people. And so if you have a teenager in your life, um, probably poking that in front of their face and saying, hey, just give me a couple verses of this uh, every day, why they'll begin to see the, the certain kind of way that, that God makes these one-liners. I mean, if you've ever noticed uh, as, as you've aged, and this is when you notice it, as you age, you'll notice that people younger than you don't have the attention span that you want them to have. Right? You don't know that you're that way when you're younger. Attention span is just who you are and how you do it. So you don't, you don't think, well, I don't have attention span. That's why, you know, in the educational system, you see kind of a one-size-fits-all, and there's always that kid or two or three kids that are staring out the window, and, you know, they, they think school stinks, and they can't ever keep up uh, because of that. And so attention span is, is generally something we notice in others. But keep in mind that when you sit through a teaching or when you read this, and it all becomes to kind of comes to just blur together and it's just words, you need, to, you need to pay attention to how your attention span works, what connects with you. And, and so some of what Proverbs teaches us, just interspersed within there, are these kinds of principles. So for an example, you need to figure out if you're a morning person or a night person or a noon person or whatever you are. And, and you need to give your best time to the things that are most valuable to you. So for me, I'm a morning person. I get up really, generally speaking, I don't get up. I wake up really early, probably another function of age, um, you know, that, that I just wake up. I've, I, I started in, in the business world as a, as a baker, and if you want to have cinnamon rolls ready at 6 o'clock when the first crazy hungry farmer comes in, um, you've got you to gotta start at 3 in the morning because um, it takes three hours on any good day to begin to start cranking those things out. So anyway, um, I've always been a morning person. And so if you were to call me in the morning, you might not hear my voice. I I normally don't answer the phone until about 11 o'clock. You say, why do you do that? Because God's more important than whatever the phone call is. I know some of you are going, well, what if we need something? You'll be okay. (laughs) If you'll trust God before you trust your pastor, your leaders, or whoever else is helping you, You'll be in better shape than if you get a hold of me. And don't, don't look at me and say, well, gee, that's just a... When you learn how your body works, when you learn how your brain works, you'll do better. Come on, how many of you have ever pondered a particular medical procedure and you didn't want to be the 12th one that your doctor did on that particular day? Why? Because sooner or later, tiredness and focus wanes. 
And, and so you need to, in your world, you need to figure that out. Where does your sweet spot exist? And you say, well, but pastor, I got all these things to do. It will not hurt you to be satisfied by this. So here's chapter 13. It says, a wise son, verse number one, a wise son it heeds his father's instruction. But a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. So a wise son heeds his father's instruction. If you are processing your parenting or processing even your grandparenting, pay attention and help the people that you're dealing with. Pay attention to how their, their, their world works. Now notice it says in verse number 2, A man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth. If you'll fill yourself with what's important to you when you're the freshest or when you're the sharpest, right? You're, you're just, your mental acuity is just, is, just, is just razor sharp at some point in your life. At some point during the day, your world is sharper. You see things, ideas come quicker and all that kind of stuff. Work with that and you'll eat well by the fruit of your mouth. See, occasionally you've got to put in what's going to come out. The fruit of your mouth. New Testament thing says that out of the abundance of the heart, the the mouth speaks. The fruit of your mouth is something that you feed to yourself. Right? And then it comes back out. So it's not just about eating food, food, but really it's it's about feeding yourself kind of spiritual substance or sustenance that will help you. Notice it says in the second half, but the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. Now, I want you to pay really close attention to how it's written. It says the soul. Now, while many people teach that the soul and the spirit are interchangeable, they are not. The spirit is the part made in the image of God and dead in sin, then made alive through Jesus Christ. And your spirit, man, from the moment you're born again, is put back to its intended position through Jesus Christ, to be in contact and communication with God himself. That's how it works. And so this says the soul of the unfaithful. Notice that inside the will, the intellect, and the emotional kind of parts of man, it says that that soul feeds on violence. None of us know what your soul feeds on. We don't know. You could leave here today at 12 o'clock or whatever time we get done, drive to your house, put on a slasher film, and just have the greatest time. Because we don't know what your soul feeds on. That doesn't always show. And if you know that it's embarrassing, you don't tell people that. Come on, let's talk about, shall we talk about secret sin that nobody wants to talk about? Your soul feeds on that. Right? And it says that the, 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 the unfaithful feeds on violence. If I was teaching in a men's group, I'd bring up the elephant in almost every church's room. That well in excess of 50% of men who go to church have a pornography problem. And, uh, you know, see, it always gets quiet when you talk about things like this. But you don't understand, that's violence. That's violence. God never designed a woman to be used that way. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 40% of females have a pornography problem. That's violence. The domination of one for the pleasure of another. 
Did I get too close? The soul of the unfaithful feeds on that. What does that mean? It means it gives it the ability to go on. See, that's why addictive behaviors are so hard to break. Is it actually feeds something that you've created in your inner self, in your soul, that you believe can't be satisfied any other way. Now, isn't it interesting that Solomon thought it was important to teach teenagers this? How about that? Verse number three. He who guards his mouth preserves his life. Now notice it doesn't say God's going to preserve your life based on how he guards your mouth. Do you see that? He who guards his mouth. Whose responsibility is it to guard your mouth? It's yours, right? And in one way, what comes out of your mouth is a product of what's in your heart. In another way, what comes out of your mouth feeds your heart. Right? Both sides of that exist in, in how you learn and how you process. Right? I, I'm always amazed when I hear people talk about the simplicity of the gospel, which it is simple. But how many of you have recognized after you're now saved for a little while that the simplicity of the gospel is what got you saved? The complexity of living the gospel is what keeps you awake at night. Right? Yeah, we all got saved easily, but it's complex. Because you see... We want to guard ourselves, but we want to help somebody else, right? We want, to, we want to live that way. And how many of you recognize that hardly anybody in your life recognizes your badge? You know, like the sheriff of right talking? Hardly anybody recognizes that in your life. Because it's really easy for you to hear it in somebody else's, but the way you say it is not necessarily heard the way you intended it. As we get taught, how many of you, don't raise your hands. Let's do it this way. How many of you know somebody who, as they get tired, their language slips? Right? And and they don't talk right. Maybe their attitude changes. Maybe the context or the the tone of what they're saying gets worse. What's he saying there? Verse 3, he who guards his mouth preserves his life. He's telling you that the process of life is put through your words. Very important. Now, before you get too wound up about words, let me just keep going. He who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. There is no benefit to you personally for saying it more often. Right or not? I mean, well, we pound away. And again, nobody recognizes your badge. The confession police. Or the prosperity police, or whatever you, you know, you, you open your mouth, open your, 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 wide your lips, you shall have destruction. Notice again, the same context here, he says in verse number four, the soul of a lazy man. Remember, the soul is that will, that intellect, that emotion. I want to tell you something, it is hard to work hard. I would much rather have everybody pay me for doing nothing. And I know some of you think that's what pastors do. Nothing. Tracy and I were listening to a podcast, or actually she was listening to it, I was just overhearing it. And, and uh, this, this lady asked her son, I think he was around six, what he wanted to do. And, you know, do you want to be a fireman or whatever? She, he says, no, mom, I want to do what you do. I want to sit around all day and do nothing. 
She happens to be a minister, a very famous minister. And I can tell you, based on how ministry works, she may sit, but she is not doing nothing. I may sit more than the average person here, but sermons don't prepare themselves. I have one step ahead of you all. You want to know what it is? I actually believe that when I read the word, that God spoke to me. Many of us are waiting for God's voice, something kind of special to happen, rather than just looking at the word and go, yep, that's God's word to us. It's his voice. You say, I do that, really? Then why do you say you don't hear God's voice? Come on. Don't raise your hands, but have you ever said, I just don't hear God's voice. Really? I don't know how many pages your Bible has in it, but mine's got a couple thousand. And every page is filled with the living and active voice of God. Say, well, but I didn't get what I wanted. See, that's the problem. That's what this verse speaks to. The soul of a lazy man desires. I may have said this last week, but it's kind of been on me because I've been dealing with some other issues in our life and, and, and helping some pastors and doing, some, doing the things I normally do that you guys never see. And, and uh, I, I know that as young pastors get into the, into the ministry, they're always surprised how regular Sunday is. It just keeps coming. Week after week after week. And if they have any other services... They just keep coming week after week after week. And the lazy man has a soul that says ministry ought to be easier. See, I'm not picking on you now. I'm picking on, 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 my, on, on my vocation. Okay, I, I didn't want to pick on you because you all frown at me when I do that. And then I realize that I'm picking on you. I didn't realize it before. I just thought that would be a good example and then it hits somebody right in the head. The, my, my point is... That, that ministry is difficult because we're trying to translate who God is to what we say. Who God is to what we say. Okay? And so when, when you have a simple answer to all life's problems, you're not translating who He is. You're just translating what you think. Right? No greater love has a man than he lay down his life for his brother. That's who he is. It's kind of difficult to do. Because some of you all don't deserve the sacrifice that other people are trying to contemplate whether they should make or not. See, the lazy man contemplates this and has these desires. You have those desires. In your soul... You have desires for people that you love. Is this getting too personal? You have desires for people you love. And you want them to be a particular way. And what you hope will happen, what I hoped would happen, is I could figure out the magic way to say the words that would then change the person into what we knew God had for them. Right? The magic, the magic words. Here to, and so you say it the first time, and, and it's absolutely astounding to me how, how 
how totally unimpressed somebody is with how hard you work to tell them the exact words they need for their life. <laughs> you work hard and you tell them that and they look at you like, what, were you talking? Yeah, I was giving you a solution to your world. And so you think, oh, that didn't work. And so what do you do? You go back to the drawing board, you pray some more, you come up with more magic words. Here's the point. Oftentimes what we miss in the desire of our soul is the time that God puts into somebody else's life. See, what he's trying to teach here, in my opinion, see, he says, the soul of a lazy man desires, right? We all have, do you all have desires? If you, if you don't have any desires, call the mortuary. Because you're about dead. Right? Desires are natural in the heart of man. God made us that way. I mean, think of it this way. If we're made in God's image, how cool would it be to live like God lived? He came up with the plan on the fly. He looked at the earth at a particular point in time, saw it was shapeless. It was void. It was, it was in chaos. And he spoke order into a catastrophe. That's what the very first thing God did was put order into chaos. That's who he is. What we want in our desire is to put order in people's chaos. But what we really want is for that to happen easily. Amen? Let's look at our verse again. The soul of a lazy man desires... The soul of a lazy man desires. If your desires have in it the hurry up button, the make it easy button, you might want to reevaluate. See, Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 19 says, Woe be unto a man who says to God, hurry up. You can check me out, it's in there. Woe be unto a man who says to God, hurry up. See, we don't always have an appropriate viewpoint of what God's doing. And the lazy man, rather than saying, hey, God, this isn't working. What is it you're doing? We just say, this should be happening quicker. Our desires should be coming to pass. And notice it says, the soul of a lazy man desires and has what? Nothing. So... When you have nothing, look backwards a little bit and say, wait a minute here. I desired these things, but it didn't work. If it's not working and the word never returns void, always accomplishes what God said it's for, somebody's desires is off kilter. And it won't do you any good to hand God a, a, a list of ten scriptures to adjust him. Are you tracking with me? So really it is, I mean, you know, you all, we, Tracy and I kind of live transparently in front of you, know what we're going through and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just telling you right now, it is an effort. It is an effort to keep your soul aligned with God. That's easy when nothing's happening. When something's happening, my soul gets out of line. Never happens quick enough. It never comes in a comfortable way. Ministry is uphill both directions. Right or not? People are going, 
Oh, no, I'm running downhill into that. Somebody may have taught you that, but that doesn't make it right. See, we've got to align our soul with the spirit man in us. And that spirit man will be aligned with God if we'll just watch and adjust our own desires. But the soul of the diligent will be made rich. Now notice that it uses language that give us the picture of prosperity, but it uses language in a way to establish for us that this is an invisible richness. Right? That, that, that satisfaction that comes from a good meal. Right? If you can, if you can sit down at a, at, a, at, a, at a good meal and you come away and you have that satisfaction, it's like your soul is rich. Wow, that was good. You can have a good conversation and your soul will be rich. If you listen to Christians talk, your soul should be rich. Because what comes out of their mouth is the image of the person of God. It's his voice. So he says the soul of the diligent. What's it mean to be diligent? It's really a purposeful word. How many of you have tried to teach your children diligence? If you try and teach a four-year-old diligence, they don't know what diligent means. If you try and teach a teenager diligence, they know what it means, but they don't care. Right? Because it takes a lot of work to be diligent. But the work's on your part. We spend so much time with, with, with Christopher's family, and the twins are nine. And I love them twins because there's always two of them. And, and they just think of stuff. And so... I go in after they've been instructed to do something. And it's kind of a tag team thing. Tracy and I try and stay, in the, stay out of the way when the parents are active. And, and when the parents are not available, we're, we're active. And so, you know, so now we have this thing going on. And, and for me, it's diligence. For them, it turns into a single statement. Do it right the first time. Do it right the first time. It takes twice as long to do it twice. Do it right the first time. That's diligence. Now, the soul of the diligent. So if you turn that around, you become the one who needs to do it right. The first time. That's diligence. Amen. Skip down, if you would, to verse number 7. And let's tie these two together. There's other stuff in between there, but let's tie these two together. There's one who makes himself rich... and yet has nothing. Do you see it? What's he trying to communicate to us? That all that work didn't accomplish the satisfaction that it could could have had had you attached it to the rest of that little passage right there about being diligent, about making sure to pay attention to your soul. Notice it says, and the one who makes himself poor. This is really a statement about generosity yet has great riches. Why? Because there's a satisfaction that comes with that. And they're not talking about poverty. How many of you know there's a difference between being broke and being in poverty? Poverty is a constant, living in a constant need of supply. You're always in poverty. Okay? Broke is, today I don't have everything. That doesn't mean tomorrow I won't. 
Amen. Notice it says then, one who makes himself poor, he has great riches. Now, I don't want to touch all the financial things, but just, just remember, there is a process here that he's talking about. Skip over, if you would, please, to verse number 10, and let's watch him change subjects in these little couplet areas here. By pride comes nothing but strife. Okay. Let's work backwards. If there's a boatload of strife in your life, why is it there? Let's read it again. By pride comes nothing but strife. The fruit of pride is strife. If there's strife in your life, where did it come from? Probably from pride. You say, no, that can't be right. You know how poor we are? At judging pride in our own life? Because you see, our life is normal to us. But everyone else is reading it, is reading your life. And so if you don't put a guard on your mouth, you'll talk as if what you've done is because of who you are. Not who God is. That's pride. Well, you know... The average person approaches other people's problems in pride. Because we know how to solve that other person. Because all they need to do is what I think they need to do. And that will fix their problem. In simplicity, it would. When you got born again, did it fix all your problems? Probably not. In fact, it probably made you aware of some that you weren't aware of previously. Because God says, now that you've accepted my son's gift to you, let's work on these issues. Pride comes, nothing but strife. But with the well-advised is wisdom. Now let me twist this for you. How do you become well-advised? I'm sorry? Lack of pride will help you. How else can you be well advised? Who or what you listen to? Oh, so, so if you want to be well advised, you need to become an active listener. Some of my best ideas come from people around me. You just have to listen. You just have to listen. Active listening. You say, yeah, but that takes a lot of work. I know. But it says, with the well-advised is wisdom. So if you're well-advised, it's possible that you're paying attention to what you listen to. And when you hear those things, you're active in them. You're an active listener. Amen? So pride, how does pride come out? Through your mouth and through your willingness to talk. How does well-advisement come from? It comes from listening. Do you see the difference? Some people are just willing to share everything with you. And some people are really good listeners. And I'm not saying you have to stop talking. I think you just should stop talking unless you're talking like God. Well-advised, listening. Listening. Notice verse number 11. Wealth gained by dishonesty. Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished. (laughs) I would love 
for crooked to work. Because my natural brain, at times, has a boatload of crooked thoughts. A boatload of crooked... Come on, if you're tempted to have a get-rich-quick scheme, that's a crooked thought. That's dishonesty. I tell you all the time, I have, I have such a, an aversion to lotteries. Because it, it, it preys on this thought process. And again, the number of times that I've had people in my office who are in financial difficulty and want me to agree with them and pray. They want to hold hands across the desk and pray that they'll win the lottery. And they'll come in and tell me, Pastor, if you'll pray, when I, when I have $50,000, I will certainly tithe. Well, I want to know that you're going to tithe on the $5. Not because it's important to me, but because you can't plan to do something and expect somebody else to add something to it so that you can do it. You can't be happy by somebody else's addition. You can't be financially prosperous by winning the lottery. You'll still have a poverty mentality. Somehow it makes sense to some people to give somebody a dollar with the the whole purpose of getting 50 cents back. Like I tell you regularly for years, you bring me your dollar, I will give you 50 cents. Every day, all day long, I will do that. Because the average lottery pays out 50% of cost. And by the way, most of us are not average lottery players. The same people that we've helped with food and other things, you walk into 7-Eleven, they'll be buying, in some cases, $20 for lottery tickets, and they will tell you, hey, pastor, it's been a good day today. God has really blessed me. I'm winning more than I'm losing. First of all, that's a hockey puck looking for a place to hit. That is not true. Because if you're winning more than you're losing, why do you need help? I mean, sometimes I just want to say, duh. It doesn't work that way. Why? Because it's gained by dishonesty. Well, amen. How many of you saw the article recently? I think it was a guy in Minnesota has won the lottery three times playing the same numbers. No one says how many hundreds of times he's played those three numbers. I've heard people say, what, like when the lottery gets up into the you know, hundreds of millions, well, what would it hurt? Come on, put one finger in your ear here and hope some of this stays in. Because what it will hurt is, it's dishonest gain. Meant to stir up greed in our lives. Ask people what they're going to do with their multi-million dollar winnings. Oh, I'm going to help family. Okay. Then what? Well, I'll have a nice house. Congratulations. Yeah, I'll probably drive a nice car. You know, and I'll give to people. You know, well, people don't have any names at this point, but you know, but your house has a name and an address and your car has a make and model. What are you going to do? Listen, if you can't handle five, right? You know when the Bible says, well done, good and faithful servant, he says that in relationship to stewarding money. 
I know we think it's all about life. It's really about stewarding money. The two places it says in the New Testament, the talents and the minas. It's about faithfulness and money. And you know what he gives you? Well done and good faithful servant. He also gives you authority in cities based on that passage. I'll move on. Verse number 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. What does it mean to defer it? It means for it not to, to, to get to us, right? Not to receive it. Hope deferred. Did you get it yet? This doesn't say hope or the object of hope. It says hope itself is deferred. What does that mean? That means when your hope, when you push your hope off, hope is just the expectation of God's blessing. You don't need hope anymore when the hope delivers. Right? Are we, tra- are, are we tracking? And so when we read these things, it says hope deferred. What does that mean? When we push our hope off, it makes a person what? Heart sick. Heart sick. Do you see it? How many ever had heart sickness? Can't explain it. Stuff's just not right in here, right? It's just not right. And we know that God's word is full of spoken hope. But what do we do? I've tried so hard. I've tried for so long. I'm just not sure it works. What are you doing? You're deferring. You're pushing the hope off. You're actually increasing the discouragement and depression of your heart. You need to be crazy enough to accept The hope, like you actually believe it's going to come to pass. But what do we do? We say, man, it's a lot of work, and I don't know if I want that. Come on, how many of you have ever come up with a plan for your life that looks like it might not align itself with what God has for you? Way back, early in ministry, had an appointment with these people, and they wanted, you know, they, their family was struggling. And their solution was a motorhome and a boat. Now, I don't care if you have a motorhome. In fact, I'd like you to have one that you're willing to loan. <laughs> I'd like you to have a boat that you're willing to take me out on. I don't want a boat. I mean, 12 days on the lake is a long time, okay? And, and so anyway, but here's the thing. The solution to a family problem was a motorhome and a boat. When do people have time to take their motorhome and their boat to the lake? Friday after work, Saturday their day off, and Sunday God's day. Or Saturday God's day, or whatever day it is that God's day is for you. Well, but God is everywhere, you know, Pastor. I just worship Him in nature. Right. You understand that an excuse is just a reason why I should shut up. Well, you don't understand, Pastor. You don't understand my heart. Yeah, maybe. But I'm not the guy you need to convince. Your audience of one is not me. I just notice that throughout the summer, you're not here. Present company excluded, okay? I'm not talking about you because you're here. Everybody else out on their boat. (laughs) I tried to 
I picked boats because there's not a lot of water around here. Okay? So, I mean, if you've got a big boat, you've got to drive a long ways here to get a big enough piece of water to put your big boat in. Okay? So, I just did that trying not to hit anybody. Amen. Had a, had a marriage counseling appointment one time with a, with a fella. Didn't attend the church we were pastoring. And he called, and, oh, man, things were going bad. And, and he decided to cancel his appointment, called me one day. He says, he says Glenn, I, I don't think I can make it. And I said, oh, okay, everything okay? Yeah, my wife and I are going to Las Vegas. We think that'll help our marriage. <laughs> right. The next time you call me, not you, but them, my fee is $1,000 an hour because I think that'll help your marriage. How much you suppose somebody? I, I've never been to Las Vegas. I, don't, I know what hotels cost. I don't know what they cost in Las Vegas. But if you're going to go for two or three days, you just will give that $1,000 to me. I'll help you. Hope deferred makes hard. Again, when you push it off based on your own plans. When the desire comes, it's a tree of life. But when the desire comes, desire of what? The hope. See, God gives you a hope. Remember Isaiah, or I mean Jeremiah twenty nine. He gives you a hope for your future. He does that. He spoke that to people who were in captivity. And he said to them, "Yeah, it's going to last a lot of years here, but when you get out, here's my plan for you." Hope deferred makes the heart sick. The desire of the hope, look what it says. When desire comes, it's a tree of life. Now, I don't know what you think a tree of life is, but it's not a vegetable plant of life that dies after you pick the fruit. It's a tree. Imagery is important in the Bible. Look at verse number 14. The law of the wise is a fountain of life to turn away from the snares of death. Notice that, that the law of the wise turns you away from the snares of death. Look at verse 16. Every prudent man acts with knowledge. You ever notice when somebody does something that you know isn't smart? Right? You see somebody doing something, and you go, that's not going to end well. Right? But you see, what God does, what I believe God does, is begin to give us plans that we can act with the knowledge that he puts in our heart. Not the knowledge that you come up with. Notice verse 18. Poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction. One of, the, one of the translations of this says, he who ignores correction. Please don't make this about somebody else. This is the orange flag or the red flag in your heart by God himself telling you, don't go there, don't do that. It's you ignoring the correction. There are no exceptions to the law of life in Christ Jesus. See, your crazy way of doing that isn't going to be blessed by God. Because there are no exceptions. If there were exceptions, our God would be a God of change. The Bible says he does not lie. In fact, the Bible says he cannot lie. He's not changing. Well, but pastor, you don't understand. God's spoken to me. Okay, congratulations. But if it's not in his word, it may not have been his voice. Amen. 
And poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction or ignores correction, but he who regards the rebuke will be honored. These are meant to be personal. This is not for the people that you're thinking about when you hear something like this. Go, oh yeah, they've, they've, those people have done that. They've not done well in all of it. This is for you. This is for you. He who regards. <clears throat> the idea of regarding something is to put a value to it. Okay? I don't regard mud holes. I'm kind of prissy. I kind of like clean. I will drive my car around a block so I don't have to go through a ditch that has water in it. I know some of you farmer types are going, well, I just got to drive home. That's right. If I lived in the country, I'd buy the corner lot by the highway. And I'd build a garage. And I'd put my clean car in it and I'd take the four-wheel and drive home. <laughs> right? I just, I, I, sorry. You say, why do you do that? Because I've established a value. You think my values are crazy. It's okay. In most of my automobiles over the last 50 or more years, you could eat off the floor. Want to know why? Because I regard the carpet. In my car right now is a USB-powered handheld vacuum cleaner for the just-in-cases of life. It's in a little sack. Pop that dude open. Put the tag. Got a little stretchy hose on there. It'll run about 45 minutes on a charge. I regard it. Now, see, I'm using crazy things because you have crazy things that you give regard to. See, you all can look at me and go, you vacuum your car like that? Yep, I do. I also have a rag right down beside my seat just in case the little shiny things where all the buttons are, get dusty. And I just take my little rag out and I shine the chrome up, shine the little shine. Everything that's shiny should still be shiny. You say, well, I'd never do that. Listen, don't look at my crazy. Find yours. Okay, you, you leave here and go, yeah, our pastor, he's nuts. He's nuts. Okay, Whatever. But you got some of those, and you give regard to them. The Bible says, he who regards a rebuke, you have to be ready to put value in the correction. Come on, when you correct a kid, do they love it? No, in fact, sometimes they're just outright rebellious. Why? Because they haven't put value yet in the rebuke. It happens magically. Just let them get out on their own. And they'll tell you that life is more expensive and harder than they ever thought it would be. That's because mom and dad are putting milk in your refrigerator. Now, mom and dad ain't putting milk in your refrigerator. Or pay. I, well, my, we had a rule in our house. If you got a ticket driving your car, whatever my insurance was at that point, when it went up, that's on you. I will come to you with my hand out. Because you need to learn that actions have consequences. You need to learn from, you've got to honor the rebuke. Right? It's just that way. Skip down if you would. 22 is good, but I'm not going to read it. Just, yes, I, I knew you were going to put that sign up, and I want to get to one I want to touch. Verse 23, much food is in the fallow ground of the poor. The fallow ground is just like what you think it would be, like, like 
farming-wise here? It's uncultivated soil. What's he saying? The uncultivated soil of your heart produces and you're ignoring it. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Amen. There's more. 24 is good. Spare, spare the rod. That's a good one. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, for this time together. We just bless you, Lord God, for how you work in our life. Thank you, Father, that you left us these, these little one and two liner understandings from you through the writers. We just thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.